I can't really remember when I last had any hope. And I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either. Because really, since women stopped being able to have babies, what's left to hope for? The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. The youngest person on Earth was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours and 8 minutes old. The ultimate mystery, why are women infertile? Some say it's genetic experiments, pollution. Why do you think we can't make babies anymore? Doesn't matter. It's all over in 50 years. there, and welcome to Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear, this year. My name is Billy Culpa, here with my good friend and film critic, Will Pfeiffer. Will, hello there. Hi, Billy. This week's featured movie is the 2006, technically 2007, thriller, suspense, sci-fi movie, Children of Men. But first, Will, have you seen any good movies lately? You know, sadly, I have not. I'm a little embarrassed to say, but thankfully, our Out of Theaters listeners have my back. And I put out the call earlier today for some questions, and they responded with some questions. So I've got a few we can we can discuss on the podcast. You have a busy week? No, uh, no Netflix stock to promote? Uh, I don't know why I didn't watch any. I watched some uh, just TV shows and this and that. And I watched half of a black exploitation movie called Black Gun starring Jim Brown, but I Jesus. haven't had a chance to watch the rest. But I will, and I'll report back as to how it was. If I pulled that trick, you would yell at me for not sitting down in one setting and watching the movie right all now. the way through. I'm a sad man. Let's uh, let's answer some reader questions. Let's I'm just gonna, I want to keep that clip and just play that every once in a while. Okay, just bring that up whenever you need it. I'm a sad man. Let's see. From Hilary Barda, a good friend of mine, a masterful cartoonist, and a movie fan who definitely knows his stuff. He asks, to what extent does the auteur theory still matter? The auteur theory. It's French. It's right. French for author, by the way. So I, what do I know about movies, right? I don't know. But I, I think there are there are... It's either uh, all in or not. So you have the guys who um, demand every aspect they control. Uh, Quentin, um, Nolan, Fincher, guys who sort of get their way and they pick whatever project they want and they're just going to go with it. And then there's sort of everybody else who works for Marvel. Well, you know, and I was thinking about this because that's what I first thought of, too, when I think of the auteurs, you know, the guys who, you know, they put their personal stamp on the movies. But originally... The theory came about when these crazy French critics were watching movies that came out of the Hollywood studio system. And they were able to say like a West, you know, they made thousands of Westerns back then. But John Ford had a certain style that would come across in his Western. Somehow they were able to put their print on a movie, even if it was made sort of through a studio process. So I was actually thinking, though, there are definitely guys like Tarantino and Fincher and Nolan and... Wes Anderson and yeah, Noel, Anderson, that's Noel good, yeah. Baumbach and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, certainly those guys, Scorsese. But I almost wonder, and I, you know, because there's all this controversy about Scorsese and the Marvel movies and and this and that. There's all this talk on the nerdy side of uh, film Twitter, which I, is I was where just going to say this topic makes me hate Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm addicted to Twitter. No, I hate Twitter, but I, Martin Scorsese <laughs> makes me hate Twitter. Why? She's because everybody's a moron and nobody. 
nobody understands and there's no nuance. There's no chance for like, just like, you know, you, you take the sound bite and you run with it and then everybody's got to tweet hate dumb shit for hours. Dumb. Just, I mean, people bitching about Scorsese. They, yeah, they're idiots. But anyway, um, <laughs> I do, I, with, within Marvel movies, I was almost thinking like, can you apply the auteur theory to Marvel movies? On the one hand, they, what like them or not, they definitely feel like they're sort of stamped out by a press. I mean, they know, you know, they hit their moments, they have their laughs, they have their serious moments, they have their rah-rah moments. But almost, I wonder if somebody like James Gunn, who directed the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which have a slightly different feel than the other Marvel movies, is he sort of a, a sneak auteur working within the Marvel system? Maybe. Uh, I, I thought I had, I did a paper on the auteur theory a million mm. years ago for college. and Look I, at you. I thought that what, I, I actually think I did it on Hitchcock, believe it or not. He um, was one of the ones that the French critics praised for obvious reasons. I mean, I just was. think my teacher was like, these are the five who can, you know, who count, <laughs> pick one. And I, okay, you know, I'll pick Hitchcock. But uh, I thought one of the like tenets of it was that every single thing about the movie is intentional and is because the director wants it there. Right. And, you know, I mean, there is some, there's some controversy about the theory too, or not, not controversy. Look, but look at us, by the way, having like a serious discussion I know, look about at the this. auteur I got about French film critics and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, you know they're, that's on the one hand. The other hand is people say, well, you know, screenwriters put their stamp on a movie. Actors, specifically movie stars, put their stamp on a movie. Producers. I mean, like you could, you know, we talked about cat people last time. A guy like Val Luton, he was sort of the auteur of those movies, and he didn't direct any of them. That's a good analogy um, to to the modern uh, Marvel studio stuff because they gave him a title, they kind of gave him an expectation for what he wanted, and he did his own thing within that framework, like like your James Gunn. I do, I do, yeah, I agree. Although I think there is probably a lot more control over the Marvel movies. You think you don't think that those guys went? I mean, they gave him the title. I mean, they right out said you have well, to make you a think, movie about Captain. Well, you don't think they gave James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy? And yeah, then right. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying I think there's so much money at stake with these movies, and they have it down to such a science that they're. I think the reins are pretty tight on the Marvel. We're going to talk about Children of Men here in a little bit, but uh, I read this article in the New Republic about mm. how movies like look Children at you. I put so much research into this episode. We'll we'll talk about it, but uh, how Children of Men uh, just wouldn't be made today. No, it, it's there's just it, it's there's because there's no expanded universe. There's no franchise. There's no prequels to Children of Men. There's no there's no world that that is a standalone, expensive ass sci fi movie. Yeah. That is done. You know, I almost wonder if if it would be made as a, like a Netflix series, say, much like The Handmaid's Tale. Sure. Or, and then or, they would have added a sequel to it or something. Or, you know? or The Watchmen on HBO. Yeah, or The Watchmen on HBO. I mean, that's, that is almost where you're seeing a lot of those sort of non- you know, non-franchise movies show up. Oh, the Watchmen sort of is a franchise. And now Handmaid's Tale with sequels is sort of a franchise. The, so. um, What's that one we liked? I, I I keep wanting to call it All We All You Need Is Kill, but that's not. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow is getting sequels, right? I they've been they've talked about it. I mean, the thing is, with Tom Cruise, it's like you know moving a an aircraft carrier. Yeah. If you can move him into place to get a sequel. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I just think that movie. The difference between that movie and Children of Men is that movie made money. Yeah, you know. I know, and I love. We love that movie too. Do you want to hit up another Facebook question? Yeah, let's do another one quick. Um, I, I'll just real quick. My friend Chris Wadsworth said, uh, why do I keep watching Independence Day when I know it's a crappy movie? And I said, that's a, that's for you and your therapist. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, like, we watch crappy movies. Although I think Independence Day is a terrible movie. I'll never watch it again. We do all sorts of things that we know are terrible for us. We drink Pepsi, you know, like it's terrible for you, but it's delicious. You know, it's. But this isn't. But it's not delicious. Independence Day. It's just terrible. I think there are moments that are fun. I don't know. There's it's, plenty of stupid, but I don't know. Like when Bill Pullman. <laughs> It's, you know, today will be our Independence Day. I'm putting that quote in this this podcast. so bad. It's awesome. It's not awesome. No, it's awesome. It's terrible. The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Chris, you and Billy should clearly sit and enjoy the movie together. <laughs> Is Chris the baseball bat guy? No, that's Wayne. Wayne. Wayne just had a birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Wayne. Yeah, happy birthday, Wayne. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Mark uh, Cole asked... Wait, I gotta clarify that. Wait, that guy didn't like one of my opinions once and sent me a picture of himself holding a baseball bat. <laughs> Just, I think he sent it to me on Facebook. I don't even think we're Facebook friends. Wayne is the sweetest guy. Yeah. So okay. he would never, no, he would never do that. <laughs> um, let's see. Mark Cole asks, are you planning on see Jojo Rabbit? Um, I'm planning to see it tomorrow, in fact. So I'll report back. Are you going with the wife? What are you doing? Wife and kid. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Taking your kid to see a Nazi daydream movie. She's. She's studying the Holocaust in That's history right now. So uh, tonight uh, we're recording this on the 9th. November 9th. and I think today is the like eighty first anniversary of um, Kristallnacht. No, oh. so well, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It's spirit. like the thirtieth anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming down too. So. Oh yeah, so a lot of Germany in the news today. <laughs> Somebody said um, on Twitter, I saw like you know, kids today will never know the joy that we felt knocking the wall down. And I was like, yeah, but I saw Atomic Blonde, so I kind of get it. Yeah, that's the same thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, and my friend, uh, Tony Garcia, former Register Star. Tony! Employee. Tony's my friend. I know. So we love Tony. He said, since they can CGI James Dean in a movie, what would be a good new Marx Brothers movie? There was news this week that some producer intends to do a virtual James Dean and put him in some kind of a Vietnam movie, which I think is a terrible idea. Perhaps the only worse idea would be to do that with the Marx Brothers, whose movies depended so much on their own personality. So I want there to be no movie, no Marx Brothers movie, and I don't want there to be the stupid James Dean movie either. They did it with Grand Moff Tarkin, and it just didn't work. And here's the thing. When they get the technology perfect, which they will, they will get it so you cannot tell the difference, it still is just an image they're not the actor. I mean, you hire an actor for what they, you know, for what they look like, but also for their acting, for you know, their it, style. It's interesting that you say that because you you take um um I still haven't seen it, but uh, Doctor Sleep came out this weekend. Yes. Um, and you take a guy like Kubrick who seemed to want to beat the personality out of his actors. Well, no, who seemed to want very specific performances that were his vision. I uh, well, he did in a sense, but I also there's a lot of talk about why Kubrick may make you do say like 81 takes of something. And Fincher, your boy Fincher does the know, same thing. I know. I heard um um Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal like that a, scene a, when he throws the folder in the car in Zodiac, yeah. it took like 75 takes and for him. Appa- apparently Jake Gyllenhaal like broke down. Like, yeah. that was Well, there's a lot of I mean and nobody knows for why they he they do this for sure, but a lot of the theory is is that it sort of breaks you down so eventually you're not trying to act. You're just 
there doing the scene. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, like, a guy like David Lynch is exactly the opposite. Or Clint Eastwood. Or Clint Eastwood. Yeah. They'll do... Well, I would say David Lynch makes interesting movies on the Clint But, you know, yeah, they they want the set to be a pleasant place, and they feel people do their best when they're not under tremendous stress. I saw... Uh, uh, man, I'm on Twitter too much. I saw, I saw this interesting uh, thread that was like, you can tell how people dealt with that sort of forceful directing by the movie they did next. Do you know what Shelley Duvall's movie was after The Shining? Was it Popeye? It was Popeye. I know. <laughs> Which is like the, With, the glossiest, and, simplest thing well, she could Well, by done. the way, if you ever read about the making of Popeye, that is, movie was essentially made on a giant mountain of cocaine. They would ship drugs to <laughs> Malta where they were filming it. No, I'm not saying Shelley Duvall did that. I'm, I'm going to make a pretty good guess Robin Williams was partaking. Sure, but, uh, sure. But it was uh, Robert Altman did that. And he was very much an actor sort of director. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. so there's that. Um, let's see one more. Let's do one more question real quick. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, this will be a quick one. Um, uh, Dan Soberlick says, "Who was the first to reserve Rise of Skywalker tickets? Will or Billy?" It's gonna be me. Um, it is gonna be Billy. <laughs> I I gotta say, it's an obligation, not like a thing I'm pumped about. I'll see it, I'm sure. But you know, I asked Allie today. I'm like, Allie, you want to see that new Star Wars movie? And she says, that looks like trash. You know what? The weekend it comes... This this happened with her like last year, maybe two yeah. two years ago. She's going to change her mind the weekend of. You'll see. She may, but now she's 14. So, you know, it's very... Wait till you get the teens. They're, they can be obstinate. There are, uh, there are weeks <laughs> that go by before my wife and I are like, you know, we should bite the bullet and spend the billion dollars on the babysitter and go do whatever. And it just... I know that moment's going to come where um, Last Jedi comes. Or not Last What is it? What's the new one? Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. It's, we're going to start seeing the, the barrage of advertising, and we're both going to look at each other and go, yep, we should probably go see it. It's 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 unavoidable. I don't mind. I'm not, I don't, I'm not like, mad about it. I just, I have very low expectations, and I... I Why don't you just wait till it comes on uh, Disney Plus? I'm not, I'm, F that. I'm not buying Disney really? Plus. Really? Nope. Interesting. I, I'm, I cut cable... I've been living a glorious cable-free life where I borrow all my friends' HBO logins and things like that for like for years, for like seven years now. And I'm watching my bill creep up and up and up. They've got me. You know, it's coming back. I'm I'm not doing Disney. Really? Interesting. Uh, I will check back with you in six months. I really want to have a discussion with you one of these episodes about Last Jedi because you recently changed your mind about how you feel about it. I did. I still, uh, just real quick, because we got a really good movie to get to, but <laughs> um, I... I I think when I when it came out, I overpraised it a little too much. Now I see a lot of the flaws. I still think there are great things about it. And one of the things I like best about it is how, a spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Last Jedi, Rey is set up as not part of any sort of lineage. She's just a person who happens to have a connection to the Force. And I have a feeling with a title like The Rise of Skywalker, all that's going to be retconned they're, out. They're going to, you're right. And you're I right. think that's stupid. That, that was one of the best things about Last Jedi and... You know, man, they're going to screw it up. The end of Last Jedi has like the little kids like force moving brooms and stuff. No, no, no. Yeah. I I mean, that's it. I really like it because okay, it it should have been the end of the whole thing. I agree. I agree. That should have like little like the force is in everybody. There is no need to be a special Skywalker. Like that would have been a really great ending to the whole damn show. But I don't know. And if you watch Star Wars originally, the first Star Wars, there's never any idea that that the force you know the force is this thing and yeah. anyone can tap into it you kind of right. get the feeling if you're willing to accept it that's enough star walk talk star walk star walk talk that's star enough walk star talk. wars talk i'm editing that that's enough star wars talk let's talk about this week's movie 
Children of men. Children of men. So, you've got faith over here, right? And chance over there. Like yin and yang. Sort of. Oh, Shiva and Shakti. Lennon and McCartney. <laughs> Look, Julian and Theo. Yeah, there you go. Julian and Theo met among a million protesters in a rally by chance. But they were there because of what they believed in, in the first place, their faith. They wanted to change the world, and their faith kept them together. Children of Men, Alfonso Cuaron's 2007 sci-fi dystopian drama. Will, tell me about the movie. Okay, this movie takes place in the year not too far off, 2027. Um, Jesus, it's like next summer. I know, it really is. (laughs) And the world is sort of on the brink of, you know, it's it's like a pre-apocalyptic film. But there's a very specific reason why everything is coming to an end. Namely, women have mysteriously the world over become infertile. There hasn't been a baby born in 18 years. So there are no children left on the planet. And sort of as a result of that, people, the world as a whole seems to have given up. Um, I think England is the only country remaining. England is, there, uh, yeah. And Quran's uh, this movie, one thing I love about it, just real quick, is how it sort of leads you into this world and explains the situation without really having someone sit down or like a long crawl and explaining like da 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 in <laughs> 20 of them blah, 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 blah. but you see these there are these these ads running on the buses and stuff in London that that show major cities over the world like New York there's a mushroom cloud and you know Moscow Paris and they're all in flames and it says England soldiers on because England has slammed its borders shut and taken an incredibly hard line on immigrants like become a brutally repressive country but it still is somewhat lurching along day by day you know there still is a society in england there so do you want to get into specific well let's talk about how the movie starts real quick because i I also want to right off the top i think we both should say i i love this i love this movie this movie is fantastic i think it's one of the best movies of the 21st century it's crazy i i've never had a conversation about this movie in my whole life and I, i think this is maybe it's not like um culture setting like the matrix or something but it's but it's gigantic this feels like this should have been a huge movie and it lost money i know and it feels like it cost a billion dollars to make and it did not it cost 76 million so it's not like it was cheap but that is nothing you know the marvel movies cost 250 million and this movie feels like i mean there's we'll get to them but there are scenes that are so epic in scale but they're just filmed smartly. I just know? don't understand a movie that is this good, that is expensive and looks good. And and frankly has an easy to follow story that has action and emotional highs and twists and turns. And just it's not like a dead serious science fiction movie or anything. I just kind of feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like nobody gave a shit. Let me tell you a secret. How have I gone my whole life without hearing about this? Here is what I have. Well, if you read my blogs oh, and my when I wrote for the paper, I tried to sing the praise of this. But Billy. Unlike you and I and the fine listeners of our podcast, most moviegoers are morons. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let me talk about how this movie. Got, hey, wait a minute. That means I'm not a moron. No. Well, Eat, not in at, this specific case. Suck at people, iTunes reviews. You were, no, Mario, you were right. <laughs> the movie starts with our hero, Clive Owen. He is getting a cup of coffee at his local uh, Starbucksian sort of a place. And he walks in and everyone else, not him, is enraptured by the news. And the news of the day is, and I think this is such a brilliant way to start it, is that baby Diego has died. And mm-hmm. baby Diego is Diego Ricardo, who was 18 years old. And, and um, 
he died in a when he refused to give a fan an autograph. There was a fight and he was stabbed. And the reason Baby Diego is famous and why he's called Baby Diego as a grown man is because he is the youngest person on earth. He is the last baby born. And so this just shatters people. They are just crying and weeping. It's like when, you know, Kennedy got assassinated or right. something like that. And Clive Owen really doesn't care that much. He's, you know, he gets his coffee and he goes to work. Then he actually goes home pretending he's distraught about baby Diego. I, he, but I, he says that guy was a wanker. I'm glad you don't take cream of sugar, Abita. Losing you, baby Diego, on the same day would be too hard to bear. Well, that was even worse, everybody crying. I mean, baby Diego, come on. That guy was a wanker. Yeah, he was the youngest wanker on earth. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh... That boss gives him a look, though, mm-hmm. like, God damn it. Fine. He knows. Go home. I know. Because they know him. He's, you know, Joe Cynical. To be, he, You know what also he could have said is, uh, hey, remember that building I was in that exploded? Yeah. I'm stressed out and like to go home. But it seems also, like a better excuse. Also, the fact that you get the idea that there are a lot of those bombings going on. And it's one of those situations where is, is, it, the, is it really the fishes, which is this sort of terrorist group? Or is it the government trying to throw suspicion on the fishes? We also or? didn't say that after he gets his coffee... The room blows up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He walks out and then boom. And again, another example of how this movie looks so much more expensive is he walks out and the streets of London are, I mean, it's not on a small set. He is out somewhere in London, but there are giant moving billboards everywhere. I mean, the the explosion is practical. It's not some cheap effect and, and, and everything. And they, they end it. There's a lot of like maybe motion blur and there, mm-hmm. there's there's some chaos, right? It's it's There's dissonance in, in, in the scene. And then they show a woman like stumble out with like no arm, yeah, and some blood, and, and then, it's just in the background. He does that great, but putting oh things in God. the background. Then there's are like, a, there's like a sound, like a like almost like a <laughs> when a bomb goes off, you hear that, like, and then it goes boom, children of men, and it just shows. Yeah, them, like damn, and then we're into the movie. <laughs> oh my God! And this movie has a real sort of Casablanca kind of a thing to it, in that he, he's the cynical guy who once had some idealism. But now he's all wrapped up in his own little world, and he gets a mission which sort of lets him get reclaim his his you know sense of sense of helping other people, sense of believing in something. Yeah, that's fair. I'll I'll accept that. I'm not uh, saying it's a it's an no, exact no 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 no. I get thing, that. But you're right. He's that character, you know. I mean, it's not a direct comparison. There's a lot of characters in a movie like that. But you need a character. You know, this is the hero's journey. You need a character who's going to start the movie one way and finish it another way. And I mean. Clive Owen's character, Theo, one of the main purposes of him is, besides being the hero of the story, he's how we sort of wind our way through this amazing world that's been created, and we see different parts of it, and we see how the world has changed. He does evolve. Oh, yeah. I I sort of feel like he's getting a... Like, there's a couple scenes in the movie where he's got to take some action, and the other characters are like, no... Julianne Moore said, this is the guy, we trust him, so we're going to go with him. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like it wasn't earned. Like he, she called, um, um, Key, we meet Key later. Well, we, yeah, but we need to talk about who Julian Moore is and why he's in this. So, so after. I like how on this one you want to walk through the whole plot. I'm down. No, but I think we need to set certain things up before we just jump into who Key is. So, um, she's the key to the plot. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a sad man. Theo is, uh, abducted suddenly, bag over the head, taken into a van, da, 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 da. And it turns out he's abducted by these terrorists called the Fishes who are led by his ex-wife, Julianne Moore. Right. Um, they had a... Julian, they had a little boy named Dylan. Dylan. And uh, he died of the flu. 
He was a sweet little dream. He had little hands, little legs, little feet, little lungs. And in 2008, along came the flu pandemic. And then by chance, he was gone. Oh, Jesus. You see, Theo's faith lost out to chance. So, why bother if life's going to make its own choices? Yeah, pandemic, right. Yeah, he was, but he was older. He was than, like 10 or something. Yeah, he yeah. was old enough to where, like, oh my God. I mean, yeah, that you I mean he was born. Was he yeah. was, I mean, there's a point in the movie where they explain babies just stopped being born. Women miscarried, and then that was that. Yeah. So he died. So, you know, and you get the feeling that put a huge strain on their marriage, and they split up. Julian's parents, they mention, um, in an aside, they were New York when, and we know New when York the bomb got went nuked. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're dead. But so there's a sense of desperation and sort of collapse everywhere. But the fishes have a woman they need to get out of the country. They're because of the restrictive immigration right. laws, people moving is impossible. It's impossible. And they know that Theo has a cousin who works in the government and can get passes. It's almost like, you know, Casablanca, the, you know, the articles yeah. of transport or yeah. whatever they're yeah. called. Transit. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, that's just a, I mean, that's a common You don't thing, have to but, feel defensive about it. I don't disagree at I all. Know. So he agrees to do it because they'll pay him. Uh, five grand. Five grand. And, and you get the feeling, you know, he still has a certain connection to, to Julianne Moore. But, um, so he goes and, and meets his, his cousin. He gets the papers. That's my favorite scene in the movie. That's a great scene. Well, we'll come back. I just want to set up the real plot. The, yeah. And we're going to spoil this. There's a, a few major spoilers. Yeah. I mean, we're going to spoil everything, but there's one major spoiler that we're going to give away. Um, yeah, we're just going to... This movie's 12 years old. It's 12 13. years old. Yeah. No matter how much we spoil it, watch it. Yeah. It is agreed. completely worth watching. But so they get the the woman. It's a young um, black woman. Um, and I don't remember if they say what country she's from. Yeah, she has a British accent, though, so... Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, they need to get her out. And he's like, whatever. And he finds out that he has... It's a, it's a past. He has to go with her. So he meets the rebels. They're all kind of suspicious of him, da-da-da. And then at a crucial moment when they're all hiding on this sort of farm, she goes into uh, the barn where the cows are. The dairy barn. The dairy barn. The stable, one might say. Ooh. And she starts, hey, it's very explicit. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And she starts to strip. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's much younger than him, by the way. Yeah. She's just, a, she's in her early 20s, maybe. He's, um, you know, up until that point, too, Clive Owen has been real low-key. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of not in a stupor, but kind of just like, yeah, he's, he's you just get kind the of feeling, meandering. And he just doesn't care about it. He anything. wakes up there and he's like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, he's it, like, what are you doing? Da, da, da. And she strips off her top and, it, and then he sees she's way pregnant. Right. And so he is stunned because... There hasn't been a pregnant woman in 18 years. Right. Anywhere. And of course, what's the first thing he sees when he sees her she's pregnant? I don't know. He says, Jesus Christ. Oh, I didn't know that. That's funny. I'm scared. Please help me. Jesus Christ. Are you all right? She wanted him to know she has the right. Of course she has. And so he says, like, you got to get this woman to a hospital, you know, so she can take care of this. Take care of this. And they say, 
They can't take her to the government because the government will essentially get the baby, kill her or get rid of her and say they'll have like a posh black woman, like the, an upper, you know, right. they said they're not going to let some refugee right. be the first woman to have a baby. That seems insane to me if she's the one person who can get pregnant. Like, you'd think they would put her away and have her get pregnant a lot. Well, they may do that, but yeah. they don't want that either for obvious yep, reasons. Yep, yep. So, um, and then it turns out that some of the refugees are not uh, as nice as they are, and they plan to kill them and take the baby. And so Clive Owen basically has to take her and go. And then that's the, the a big chunk of the movie is... He, yeah, the second half of the movie is a road race. He, a- and, he and the nurse, her nurse, who's an older woman, um, they have to get to a place called... The uh, Bexhill, Bexhill, the Human Project is this possibly mythical. Oh, I see what you're ship saying. with scientists, and it Bexhill is a place on the coast of England, and they need to get there so they can get to this offshore ship. Yeah, the where ship they can is, take the, the ship is going to meet them. It's like a huge refugee right. camp. Theoretic, you mean Bexhill? Bexhill yeah, and Bexhill is yeah. a real place too. Yeah, I looked yep. it up. And um, the other main character we haven't mentioned yet is uh, Michael Caine, who um, plays Clive Owen's old buddy Jasper. He's an old political cartoonist, and he's like. Uh, you know, he was born in like I, I I tried to do the math. If going by Michael Caine's age, if it's twenty twenty seven, he's he was born in like fifty four. Okay, so he's like a you know classic baby boomer kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, the old hippie. Perform- the whole performance is based on Lennon. Yeah, and he's like a hippie. He's yeah, and he's uh he he's great. I mean, sometimes Michael Caine. Michael Caine's in a shit ton of movies. <laughs> sometimes he <laughs> he's seems in cars to kind too. of walk through them. But this one, he really is. He's really good. I mean, yeah. he brings an energy and a humor to the movie. That uh, the movie really needs, I think. Yeah, I agree. The movie's very bleak. It's a mm-hmm. it's a cynical, serious movie, and he's goofy. Yeah, he has a one great joke where he says they're talking about like there's a group of scientists they're meeting and they're talking about why the women didn't have babies and nobody can figure it out. It's like at a big dinner, and then the one the one scientist says, "I don't know the answer, but isn't this stork delicious?" And he's eating it. <laughs> So yeah, you you like this movie a lot. I love this movie. I said this on the last episode, but you literally gave me this DVD a decade ago, and yep. I was like, "Yep, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll put that in my box." It's like it's like a branded. It's not even a burned like a legal thing. It's a real one. It's a real one. I think I got it through the paper. But yeah, it's, so. it's well, you didn't pay for it. That's good. Yeah, I still uh, would like it back. <laughs> I like this movie so much. I watched it a second time, and then I read the book. And if you count l- listening to the audio book on my commute to work, that's a read. It's I listened to every word of it. There you go. Uh, Unabridged, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, the uh, yes, it was yeah, on a by P. D. James, P. D. James, who known mostly as a mystery writer, right? Like a detective British guy, mystery right? Writer. Yeah. It's a woman. P. D. James is P. D. a James. Wo- is I have a no woman. idea. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why you go by P. D. So you can remove bias. I guess so. And look, you fell into the bias trap. I did, regardless, I, did. I, I assumed it was a you know a hacky uh, Ian Fleming. Well, that's your pr- privilege, Billy. Yeah. So I'm gonna go right by that. This movie lost money. Um, it seems like it was pretty well received by critics, like my friend Will Pfeiffer here. Mm-hmm. Um, it made a lot of best of the year lists, and yeah, uh, it. Uh, I I I like to pull Ebert a lot because he is sort of like the mainstream dumb person's critic. I you know, and sometimes he's dumb by the way. Yeah, and he he does a thing that's weird. He um, he'll give a review and it will be obviously wrong, and he'll wait ten years and then he'll re-review it and yeah. say I was wrong about that, which I guess is sort of you know, it's sort. I I mean. <laughs> Side note, I love Ebert in how he promoted the idea of go see movies, think about them, watch different movies. Yeah. Sometimes I completely disagree with him. That's his right. But the quote he had that I liked a lot on this was, um, the film is not really about children. It is about men and women and civilization and the way that fear can be used to justify a police state. 
Yeah, maybe. It made me think a lot. Well, I wanted to I talk about I think it's a lot that. about the absence of children. I wanted to talk about it because the the book is called The Children of Men. And in the book, and I, I'm not going to do much much on comparison, contrast. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, the, the book is the inspiration for a movie that is not similar. I mean, it's got some themes, but mm-hmm. in the book, men go sterile. Mm. It's not the women are the problem. It's the men. And they, one woman gets pregnant. It's actually um, uh, Julianne Moore. Juliet is the name. Juliet, yeah. There is no key. Key's made up. Uh, it's not Clive Owen's ex-wife. She's just somebody. It's uh, the, the main character is like a 60-year-old. So there's no Clive Owen surrogate in this movie. No, no. There's okay. the, the main character, Theo, in the book is like a like a older, maybe 50, maybe 60. I don't know. He's He seems not. He's not Clive Owen, like 35 mm. and kicking ass, you know. Um, he's a history professor. And much of the book is obsessed with the past. There's all these themes about the old world and how things were and a lot of reflection. And it's a much more, you know how like Stephen King always has a character who's a writer. Yes. And then there's a lot of talk about the writing and the writing process. And it just makes King feel better. That's kind of this character frames everything in a history sort of sense, historical sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're just, they're way different. But the reason why it's the children of men is because the men are the problem. So right. it's kind of interesting in the typical movie. woman writer. Uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that, other than to say, uh, well, it's interesting. It's so different. Yeah, Children of Men doesn't. It's a, I, I kind of think that if they had a better title, this movie might have done better. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like no babies in the future. So, I, mean, I don't know. Right. I, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, uh, favorite scene. I want to start there. Oh, I know my favorite scene. Now, no spoiler. Eventually, Key has the baby. You know, it's born. Right. And, Clive uh, Owen manages to deliver it, which I don't accept, but okay. Well, but, you know, babies are born. But, but yeah. Yeah, I, no, it's 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 designed to be a process that kind of works by itself. She <laughs> goes, aren't you supposed to cut the umbilical cord? And then he goes, ah, we'll get to it. But, yeah, I mean, but it's it's fine. But the baby's born. It's born healthy. It's a little girl. Yep. At first, she, I, uh, first when they're talking about the baby. Is, is it a little? Oh, it is a little girl. It's a little right. girl because I remember I wrote these down. At first. Um, Key wants to name the baby Froly. That's when, before she has the baby, she wants to name it Froly. And Clive Owen is like, you can't have Froly. (laughs) Froly. Froly. Name my baby Froly. It's the first baby in 18 years. You can't call it Froly. Says who? Froly. And then when she has the baby, she says she wants to name it Bazooka. Because (laughs) Froly is a man's name. Now, in the end, as, uh, as things, at the very end of the movie, and again, spoilers plenty, but Clive Owen is essentially dying. They're on a rowboat, hoping that somewhere in the fog, the tomorrow is going to come. Tomorrow has come, the, the Human Project boat. And she says she's going to name the baby Dylan, because that can be a girl's name, too. And Dylan, of course, was the His name kid, of Clive yeah, Owen's so kid. That's nice. That's, that's a nice ending. But, um, so, uh, but my favorite scene in the movie is they go into Beck's Hill, and Beck's Hill is... It's a it's a city essentially. It was it's like a seaside city, but it is a refugee camp now, and it's just sprawling, and there's violence everywhere and human misery everywhere, and um, it's bleak. It's it's, it's very really bleak. bleak. Yeah, and again, it the scale of this thing feels immense. It does not feel like it's a back lot or something. It feels like you were there, and there are thousands of people running around, and and there's a at this moment there's a giant rebellion going on. So there are. There are refugees fighting with weapons. There are tanks. There are soldiers everywhere. There are bullets flying everywhere. 
they actually like get there's running gun battles and blood gets on the camera lens you know it's yeah it's, i read that that was something that quran like yells cut yeah and you just can't hear it because of how many explosions there are it works and it, it, it you know you feel it feels not quite to the level of violence of the private ryan but it feels like that kind of a you're, right you're I, right I agree there. With that. yeah and it, it's yeah. a lot of like single shot stuff yeah. i like the people who see a dead body and run over and steal the shoes and yeah leave. and all that again is just in the background it yep. just happens. everything's yeah and um but my favorite scene comes when they are in a building and they have the baby and they're trying to hide the baby for obvious reasons and the baby starts crying and everyone stops the fighting just stops. it just stopped and these soldiers they all stop they and they're like stand down stand yeah. down stand down and it's like nobody wants to hurt the baby nobody wants you know and the young soldiers like some of the older women are like reaching out to touch the baby the young soldiers have never seen a baby right and it's just, I think it's just a breathtaking moment. It gets me every time. It's like they're doing everything to save the baby. And then the baby, just by existing, saves them. Yeah. You know, that, and they, that's, that's a really well put, well put way to frame it. And that. it's a long, you know, Corn loves those long tracking shots where yeah. they're just walking out and they're holding the baby and everyone is just standing perfectly still. You know, some of the soldiers kneel across themselves or everything. And that scene always gets me. Uh, that. It doesn't surprise me you like that, though. That feels obvious. That feels like, yeah, no shit. That scene's amazing, right? Yeah, it is. The two other scenes that I think are really worth noting in this movie are uh, the the camera inside the car when Juliet Moore dies. Right. That's all one Juliet take, too. Dies. Yeah. Single take. There's a camera, like, on a gimbal in the car, like, panning and rotating and moving around, and she takes a shot right in the face through the windshield. And it happens windshield. out of nowhere. And it is, it's like, oh! Oh my god! Yeah, there's and no warning. It's coming. Plus, Julianne Moore is the biggest star in the movie. You know? Yeah, except yeah, Michael Caine. But yeah, yeah, who, who also dies. But um, but it's it's <laughs> a single shot and it goes on forever and it's just really great looking. Um, See that one? I mean, I agree that's a great shot. But for me, the emotion of the other one is what, what agrees me. But my favorite scene is actually the art dealing cousin Zan. Yes, with the Danny w- Houston with the weird kid Alex. Yeah, and the thing he's like playing some video something, right? Rather. He's like, a, but he, he's not a kid because there's no kids. But he's a, he's thirty, twenty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's younger yeah. than that. He's probably twenty. Yeah. Um, I got so I just, I want to talk about the scene for a minute because it's weird. It's a weird scene. So to set it up, this is when Clive Owens Theo is trying to obtain transportation papers for Keith. Right. And his cousin is in the government, and that cousin's name is Zan. Right. And his job is to make sure art doesn't get destroyed. Right. He goes around and saves art because right. like, the world is collapsing. But so, so he's going around the world and right. getting art. Like, so when you, when you walk into his house, which is like a big government. I don't think it's, this, it's, I mean, where he lives. It's like when they go into that area, everything is very ritzy. And, there's fences and, and there's like people and, playing in parks and yeah, stuff. And it's, it's, it's like, very secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he walks in and you see uh, Michelangelo's. You see David. Is, yeah, David. But he's missing a leg. Right, because, you know, Italy fell, so they got to get, you know, Rome, David in Rome, I think. So And Zan says to him, or he, go, he goes, uh, Zan, Zan says, do you like it? He says, we couldn't get La Pieta, which is the Pieta, because that was wrecked. And Clive Owen, Theo says, yeah, my mom had a little plastic one in our bathroom when yeah. I was a kid. And they just continue can, on. Can I tell you a story about the By statue of David? Because if my mom's listening, she'll she'll probably think of this. Uh, my grandmother went to Italy when we were kids, and she brought back a, a statue of David, probably about a foot tall. And my parents set it out, and my brother and I laughed at it so much because his little penis is hanging out <laughs> that my parents put it away. <laughs> and later, I was an art major. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. He but asks he, him, he asks Anne, Theo asks Anne, 
why do you do it? The world is collapsing. This this is silly. You're going to be standing here holding all the money when... Well, he says in 100 years, nobody's going to be around to see this. And Zan says, you know what? I just don't think about it. Yeah. And but then that is exactly it. 100 years from now, there won't be one sad fuck to look at any of this. What keeps you going? You know what it is, Theo? I just don't think about it. That's what we do now. Right. That's why your friend watches Independence Day. Well, let me just say this. Global warming or not, there's no excuse for watching Independence Day more than (laughs) once. Sure. But I mean, yeah, it's great because he goes in and uh, there's David and um, there's a Guernica, which is the Picasso is like. The, on the wall beside them there's a banksy i notice when they go there's a banksy there's you know do you see the floating pig yeah from the cover of the pink, pink floyd, floyd album, album yeah. out, just out in because like, it's courtyard. battersea station yeah that's the that's what's on the cover of the album it's it's just really cool i really it is, it's great it's weird there's prog rock playing the crimson king mm-hmm. king like, crimson is it king crimson okay well whatever right but it's great like everything about that and then and there's no big explanation you assume you kind of learn sketching here's what they do and then it's just a little bit of world building and it's an interesting thing that i think that if you were listening to me from last week's episode i would have been like you should cut that because it doesn't have anything exactly billy but it's awesome well it is and this movie i mean world building is sort of like a cliche term this movie has some of the best world building i've ever seen in a science fiction movie i want to talk about alex um, sorry to derail you with this one scene, and I, I just think it's, it's a great scene. It's I know it's, it's so, so much fun, and it's kind of a fun scene too because there's like little things you can spot, like oh look at that, and look at that. I don't know who Alex is. It's not clear if it's Zan's son or cousin or, or like, lover. It almost seems like Zan collected him, like he's a piece of art. Could be. Um, in the book, and I told you I won't do this that much, but the young people are treated like gods. Well, yeah, they would have to. They're be. allowed to do anything they want, and as such, they're called omegas. And they're like roving gangs. They're like little terrorists because they're beautiful and that's very clockwork orangey sort of. Which is why the kid is named Alex. Oh, Alex DeLarge. And he's clockwork got like Orange. the weird little pinpricks in his hands and it's like, take your pills, Alex. Well, I think yeah. it's extremely I've never even yeah, seen Clockwork Orange, but well, we're I, gonna I watch that. But I think that this is a clockwork well, orange. Well, that's a good spot, uh, Billy. Yeah, thank you. Good almost job. <laughs> I you just think everything about that scene is weird, and I don't understand. He yells at him, take your pills, and he just does it. It's like, yeah. I just felt like they, the, the symbolism there is this kid has been collected like a piece of artwork. Yeah, I mean, or he's or even if he didn't collect it, he's prized like well, a piece of artwork. Because he's the last of his kind, just right. like exactly. all the other pieces like of art. Like Baby Diego. I just think it's cool. That's, yeah. that's all. I like it. No, and you know, and, and a, a thing I was just thinking of is, is when they're out, it's like there are you see fields of cows like either dead or burning like yeah. being burned <laughs> yeah. because it's like i guess nobody needs all that meat every scene in the movie i this is just a trivia thing i saw on imdb but almost every shot in this movie features an animal yeah well because they would pry because the animals are not dying right because there you see puppies and kittens and stuff in and the book they have like it's that's become a new big business like baby clothes for your pet no like, i could see the that. birth of a pet is like a giant deal and the government comes and kills all but like one male or something like that. Because they'll overbreed otherwise. Right, or, right. You know, really and I regulated. mean, I noticed uh, at one point he's at uh, dog races. And I yeah. wonder, I wonder if there are no more sports. Oh, wow. Because they're all so old. That right? makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, and again, maybe they didn't mean it, but maybe they, you know, who knows? There's it, a great scene when, when Theo, the nurse and Key go, they're, they're hiding out. They're waiting to meet their, the guy who's going to get him into Bex Hill. And um, what's that guy's name? Uh, it is. I wrote it down because he's he's great. Sid. That's it. Sid. It's Sid. It's Sid. And um, he's the guy who uh, sells pot to Michael Caine. 
No, no, Michael Caine sells pot pot. to him. And he is like, he's a guard at the thing. At Bexhill. He's at Bexhill. And and Michael Caine says, tell him he stays Sid's a fascist pig. (laughs) Because he is. But he's like, he's like a, he he does some bad stuff, but he's also, he's an interesting character. He's He's a lot more interesting than he had to be. He's practical too. Because he he explains that joke to Clive Owen, to Theo. He says, uh, yeah, that that was Michael Caine. That what's uh, I'm sorry, what was Michael Caine's character again? Um, Jasper. Jasper. He's yeah. like, yeah, that was Jasper's idea to call me a fascist pig. I thought it was funny. Yeah, like he just exp- like that's a level of humanity that we didn't need from the terrifying Sid, you know, security guard. Yeah, and then eventually he tries to take the baby, and Clive kills him with a car battery. Did you know, oh my he hits god, him in the head it with a car brutal. battery. It like crushes his skull because well, he keeps fighting. It's yeah. like they think he's dead, and he keeps coming back. And so, um, they're waiting to meet Sid, and and uh. And Theo and the nurse and Key are there at um, and Miriam is the nurse by the way, and they're at a they're they're like at an old school, and it's great because there's all these pictures you know these pictures of kids you know that kids have drawn. There's playground equipment that will never get used, and also did you notice what else is out there? No. It's like a statue of a Triceratops. Oh, I didn't see that. An extinct species. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's and nice. it's just there. It's yeah. not. They don't beat your head over key, it. Key is like on the swing set or right. whatever. And it's just, it's sad. It's, you know. It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, and and the whole thing about this movie is, you know, everyone has just given up. They've just given up Well, that's hope. why I wanted to talk so much about that scene. It's not that they've given up. They just don't think about it. Right. Well, but, I think, but I mean, humanity sort of as a whole has, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, going, yeah, yeah. Through, they're going through the motions. Well, but people are still going to work. People are still, right. they care. I mean, they're all sobbing about the death of that right. baby Diego. They seem to... They're but, still connected. But I don't think there's any progress. They're clamping down. I mean, the rest of the world has gone to shit, yeah. apparently. <laughs> so uh, I only have a couple more topics for you for questions, but I'd like to talk about the performances. If you could just give me like a little bit on each character, starting with Theo and Clive Owen. How, what do you, how do you think he did? Uh, Clive, Clive Owen is not a mega star. He's like a third tier star. Yeah, really. he's, I mean, he's been in some really interesting movies and he's, I think he's perfect because he's like, you know, he's the hero of the movie. So yeah. he has a certain... You know, you buy him as a heroic, like as the guy you want to watch. He's yeah. a likable guy, but he also has a certain world weariness to him. He reminds me a lot of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine of uh oh of Ryan uh, Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Yeah, just yeah, like sort of. A, I mean, Ryan Gosling is trying so hard to not show emotion or anything yeah. in the movie, but just sort of a guy in a trench coat, a little beaten down, a little like the world is happening around him. We don't really need to deal with Clive Owen's you know bullshit like we don't and that's what what i like is then when clive owen does show motion like for instance he's really happy he and julian moore in the car are doing this trick they see where like he can spit a ping pong ball and it, like they catch it yeah. back and forth and they're like laughing and thinking about the good times and then she gets killed immediately after <laughs> but when he sees the baby i mean he's legitimately excited yeah thrilled yep you know and he's desperate he wants to protect this baby he's uh clive owen is in a a weird but cool promotional BMW DVD series called The Driver. I remember that. Yeah. Um, I worked for BMW when that came out. I was like 18 working at a car shop and um, I went back and watched a few of them and they're real good. Yeah, he's good. Like, you know, he was one of those guys who were they saying could have been James Bond. That It, it surprises me that he, I, you know, who's the guy uh, from 300? Uh, Gerard, Gerard, Butler. Gerard Butler. He kind of reminds me like he's in Gerard Butler's tier. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. Gerard Butler's never been in a movie this good. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there, it just surprises me. Like, yeah, I mean, it's Clive you know, it seems it, there's like a lot of been... luck. He could have been James Bond. I can't imagine. You know, I like Daniel Craig, but Clive Owen would have been just as good. I think. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Julie Ann Moore. Tell me about. Uh, she plays Juliet. She plays Juliet. I mean, she's 
good. She's kind of got that hard edge. She's believable as kind of a hard edge, tough character. You know, she she's the one who, as a terrorist, grabs him. You know, tells him what they need to do. You yeah, know, that they get scene where they, they have him in the, like the box truck or whatever with the lights uh-huh. is scary. Hello, Theo. It's me, Theo. It's Julian. You scared the shit out of me. Uh, I'm sorry about the theatrics, but we had no choice. The police have been a pain in the ass lately. He's in this box truck with lights shining on. And it's newspapers. It's newspapers, and they're all fake newspapers. And you can, like, pick out little headlines about this and that. But they're rippling. There's stories about the bomb. Exactly. There's stories about the immigration. That's what I mean. It's great. It's There's so much detail in this movie. It's insane. Um, I got three more for you. Michael Caine? Tell me about him. I think he's great in this. I think Michael Caine is exactly what this movie needs, because otherwise it would be so bleak. He's the human side of everything because, you know, he's funny. You know, and he tells jokes and he keeps things light. They're so happy when they get key and they learn she's pregnant, you know, and he's going to help her. And he has his wife is just comatose, essentially. Yeah. And but he loves her clearly, you know, and, and he's a reminder of of the good times and, and like the rebellious spirit. He gives he gives her like a suicide pill. It's called quietus, which the government in, is like promoting. Is there a chance it will not work for me? There have been no cases of anyone surviving who has taken the preparation. Daddy government hands out suicide kits and antidepressants in the rations, but ganja is still illegal. I, I, it's weird. I, I'm not so sure they're promoting it. I think they're trying to... Well, they're not not promoting it. Well, they, they make it and produce it, but yeah. I th- it's a sort of an option. Like, look, yeah. we know the world sucks. I th- People actually like that. Not that they can't, that, that they want to die, but that... Yeah, the options available for right. them in a in a dignified way in the book. I mean, yeah, and I mean, you know, it'd be nice if not that I think everyone should miss it, but it'd be nice if there was a quietus for terminally ill patients. The now. advertising is bleak. The advertise they they you see a lot of like background TV ads yeah. for quietus. What's but it's cheery. That's what makes it so it's, bleak. It's yeah. like you know. It's, and you, speaking of background stuff, I know one other thing is um there among the billboards, one of them says ignoring or avoiding fertility tests is a crime. There's a lot of that. There's a uh-huh. lot of like um. He's a gardener. She's a waitress. Blah blah blah. They're immigrants. Yeah, not reporting immigrants is a crime. Exactly that. It's, it's it, very um, Orwellian. Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. Trump administration. One might say. <laughs> yep. Um, and another. This is graffiti, not a thing. But somebody in one of the scenes, somebody spray painted the background. It says, "Last one to die, turn out the lights." Yeah, I saw which that. Is a great line. Hey, this is a straight up IMDb. So I'm not presenting any kind of cool research here. But um, Miriam, at some point. Um, their plan is to get kidnapped. They want to go to Bex Hill. And to go to Bex Hill, you have to be a refugee. So right. You have to get caught. So nobody wants, is, nobody breaks into Bex Hill. That's why they meet Sid. Sid is going to sneak them in and mm-hmm. they're going to pretend to be refugees. And Sid does not know the baby. At, at first, he didn't know. Nobody knows about the baby. When they're on the bus going into the refugee camp, you hear this song. Now, I'm going to, I I can't emphasize enough how white and uncultured I am. The song is Air Bayet Mocked Frey. Yeah, Arbat McFray. Okay, did I almost say it right? It means work will set you free. It's from the Libertines. It means work will set you free, and it's it, what was above the concentration camps. Yeah. Uh, which is like, it just, it was on, perfect. it was said Arbat McFray. Just, just perfect. Because yeah. you, you don't even, I didn't know that when I was watching it, but I saw it, I read it after, it was like, damn, that's, that's a really nice, I mean, it's not subtle, but Why'd it's a nice Why'd you say you were white? Because as a white person, you would think you would know that. No, I don't know. White I, people wrote that. <laughs> you would be shocked at how little I know about anything. <laughs> Uh, in the book, Quietus is a program. It's not a pill. It's um, the, uh, there's this talk of how people 
struggle and they, they need to make connections. When people die, there's no replacing them. You don't make new friends anymore. And so Quietus is like a public, like it's a almost daily, it moves from town to town and the elderly are like brought out and they have a ritual suicide. Oh, And you find out it's not, you, you're, you're, you're forced into it. Oh, it's, it's, I almost think this forced. is yeah. better. Yeah, I agree. It's like so sad. It's like, well, they, will, they, they don't have to be forced. People in the book, the, the, the fishes, what they keep doing is blowing up the boats before the people are forced to kill themselves. Mm. That's like their terrorist act is not random coffee shops. Like in the movie, it's, it's, it's stopping quietness from happening. And it's, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's a different, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Um, two more characters. Okay. Um, I want to talk about, let's, let's end with key. So, um, Chuatel Ajiofor, he plays Luke. Right. Yeah. He's, um, I mean, he's a, he's a damn good actor and he's a man in a ton of stuff. Good. I mean, he's, he's so really good. good. And he's the kind of guy, when you first meet him, you're like, this is the leader of the resistance and we want to follow him. And then it turns out, Mm-mm. no, he's, but he shows up again and it's like, yeah, he's really compelling. You know what's funny about him is he, he's a, he's a bad guy. But he's really reasonable. Well, he's, you know, the the saying goes, bad guys don't think they're bad guys. Right. He he has his, you know, if you write a good quote unquote villain, they have their reasons for doing things, and they are as reasonable as anyone else's. There's a moment. So the person who kills, uh, so Julie Julianne Moore gets killed. Julie, right. Yeah, and it turns out she's killed by Luke's team. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it that was way, all Luke was in the car, but this is all set up. This that way all, Luke can ascend to leader. Right. Um, which is kind of weird. Like he didn't need to be, he seemed like he had plenty of power as I know, is, but, but whatever, you know, uh, they go back to the, like the, the hideout house and eventually the late at night, the people who killed, uh, Julianne Moore show up and Luke freaks out. He's yeah. like, Hey, you can't be here. They're going to see your motorcycle. And, and that's no. when Clive Owen overhears yeah. Right, and that's that sets the whole road trip. Then he trip. gets out of there, and and then they kill Michael Caine. What I really like about it, though, is when they're when when Clive Owen's team is escaping that that camp, that farm. Yeah, like a farm or something. The guy in the motorcycle puts a gun right at him and screams, "Can I have permission to shoot him?" And yeah. it's like such a frenzied scene; he can't quite get permission. Yeah. And the reason why he doesn't just pull the trigger is because he got in trouble for showing up with the bike. That's right. Luke tells him. You break order again, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And so... That's a good point. Clive Owens could have died right there. And I, I, I was watching, I was like, why didn't he kill him? And then the second... They set it like, up and it's like... He's not allowed yeah, to kill him. That's that, very good. Yeah. You I, know, just, I've, I can never pronounce that actor's name, Chuelti I wrote this down. It's Chuatel. Chuatel. Ajiafor. Ajiafor. Because he's great. You know, I did watch... I said I didn't watch any movies this week. I did watch a big chunk of a movie last weekend, and it was The Martian, and he's in that. Oh, yeah. 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 And he's also in Doctor Strange, too. Man, I downloaded The Martian from, you know, sources, mm-hmm. and there's a whole scene thrown in there just for, like, the Beijing market, and my version doesn't have subtitles, so there's, like, five minutes of movie oh, that I just don't know what's you, happening. You know, they spend millions to make that movie. If you paid five bucks to watch it, maybe you'd actually yeah, be able to enjoy it's it. It's $14.99 to watch it more than once. I've seen The Martian a lot. That's a hell of a movie. I don't uh, think they put that scene in just for a Chinese market. But I, I, think, I would bet you anything that scene is in there for Chinese market. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it appeals to the Chinese market. China saves the day. Yeah. That's why But it makes sense within the plot of the movie. That That's the most wrong thing you've ever said on the podcast. You were insane. China has a huge space program, and they have to set up like there is no other alternative. What else are they going to do? The only reason why... They have one rocket, and they blew it. Well, they need you don't, another rocket. You don't have to have the rocket get blown up. No, you don't but you have need... To have, let me explain how writing goes, oh, Christ. Really. You need to keep upping the stakes. 
This is a discussion for another movie. I I think that movie was specific. That that could have been any country. That could have been any. <laughs> it could have. It could have been Canada with their great or space Russia, program. Or, or anybody. France with its great space program. Or it, it was China. Germany to get with that its that great Chinese space dollar. program. That's. This is insane. Please, somebody in the audience back. I, I understand I'm the punching bag. It's fine. I'm not saying they don't make movies and put things into appeal to the Chinese market, but that makes sense plot-wise. There is a very loyal listener. It's James, right? Nadridge? Is he the one who... John. John it's John. I'm, I'm sorry, John. I'm going to edit this. There's a very loyal listener, John Nadridge, who... He screwed your name up the first time and edited it. Damn, I'm going to do it again now. <laughs> There's a very loyal listener named John Nadridge who has gone through and... He sort of listens and live play by plays this. He's the only person who's on my side. And I just, John, I need you to have my back on this one. That's all I'm asking. John. Last I, character? <laughs> Key. Key. What do you think of her? Key. Well, let's uh, let's give credit where credit's due. And it's Claire Hope Ashite. Okay. Um, she's good because I think you you have a character like this and you can go two ways with it. One, she can be sort of sto- so stoic and virgin Marini and that, you know, she's just this sort of perfect thing that you have to protect. Or you can go against that and make her so obnoxious that there's like this sort of tension between the two and this and that. And in the end, they come together. But she just seems like a normal, young, and I mean young woman, in that she's, you know, she knows what's happening. Yeah. But she also is kind of, at least at certain points, excited by what they're doing and terrified by what they're doing at other points. It's funny because nothing is sacred with her. Everything's kind of jokey. She's very young and just doesn't yeah. recognize the the consequences. So she she calls Clive Owen a drunk. She jokes about the baby's name. Yeah. She, um, I mean, like the just taking her shirt off to show him she's pregnant. Like mm-hmm. he probably could have done other ways to prove that, you know. And she's out on the swings. When, meanwhile, when they're in the school, Miriam is having this talk with Clive Owen where she was a nurse and she talks about how um, there were just all these miscarriages. All all at once. And then you could see the future of the ledger of like upcoming scheduled doctor's appointments. And there was nothing there. And I like how they take that. It's only like a short five minute scene, but I like how they sort of, instead of just saying women stop having babies, they take a moment to sort of show the nuts and bolts of how this would happen. And there were miscarriages, and then women just stopped going to the doctor. And it's buttoned up really well. Uh, Miriam says, I was there at the end, and now I'm going to be there at the beginning. As the sound of the playgrounds faded, the despair set in. Very odd what happens in a world without children's voices. I was there at the end. Now you're going to be there at the beginning. Right. I, I thought, that's nice. Well, and she also says it's, it's, and this ties into the, the end credit. She says, it's very odd what happens in a, in a world without children's voices. And at the very end of the movie, when the credits roll, it's just sounds of kids. Yep. And it's, it's Which like sort of a, implies there's going to be more. Right. It's yeah. just a great ending, kind of like, because you haven't heard any of that through the whole movie. Yeah. I, I, I think the actor, uh, Claire Hope, is, she did great. Uh, I, I was very impressed with with Miriam with every no 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 yeah. oh uh, with, uh, with Miriam, I, you know I didn't put Miriam down as a as a character to talk about she I think she's okay she she's, is and you know Miriam is at the end she sacrifices her life she does to to get key to she safety. has like a fake manic yeah and she knows what's coming because yeah. then they beat her and throw with the rest of the refugees free. and she's gonna be killed probably right um did you notice I the, coming to the very end when uh when Theo and Key are on the boat did you notice what uh. It's Theo's very last act because he's been shot and he's dying. The very last thing he does is he 
He teaches her how to burp the he kid. He teaches her how to burp a baby because she doesn't know. She's like, right. he's crying. He's like, no, put a tapper. Because he's done that. He's Luke, a, This Luke is knowledge him. he has as a father. Luke shot him when they're in that big building. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so interesting because Luke, while he's shooting him, is very reasonable. Like, don't leave. What are you doing? We yeah. need, you know, we need this. Look at the revolution. Bow. <laughs> you know? you're, and they both die. And it's like, it's I, an amazing. It didn't have to end like that. I mean, it's it's an amazing movie. And then, yeah, it's they go off on the water. And then you're like, you know, there is a boat coming. Right. You're you assuming see it. you it's see the tomorrow. Human, there's people yeah. working on it. Yeah. So they come for, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts on this movie? I mean, you know, as if we haven't said it before, it's great. It's it's exciting. It looks amazing. You you care about the characters. It has an emotional punch. It's it's different. The production values are shocking. They're good. through the roof. I mean, it, like I said, this movie seems like it cost a billion dollars. And it seems like it came out in 2019, not 2006. Right. I mean, this is probably filmed in 05. Probably. You can't tell at all. Like, no, it, it's, it does not it date a, a hair. The only bit of CGI I kind of questioned was the ping pong ball trick because it oh. kind of you could kind of see like a weird suction effect. I was I like, know, no, I but no, I know, but it was, you know, the baby I think was CGI. The baby was. Yeah. I think it was like a real baby, that but it they, looks good. You don't want to fine. You don't want to take a newborn and put it in a really? movie. Yeah, mm. that's my take. You Back in take, the '30s, they would go through seven or eight newborns making a movie. I almost spit my coffee out. <laughs> so uh, that's what we thought of Children of Men. We'd love it if you would tell us what you thought. Of yes, please tell us. Come find us on Twitter at Out of Theaters. Go to Will's Facebook page and leave your comments and talk shit about me. It's fine. Out of Theaters has a Facebook page too. Yeah, well, but your page gets more traction. You're a public figure, Will. Oh, good Lord. And if you could go on iTunes and find Out of Theaters and leave us a review, we would very much appreciate that it. That helps us out. That helps us get the word out. It does. It, it's it's That seems like such a benign thing to say over and over again, but it... it the more recommendations, the more we might show up in some sort of best of list and more people hear us, you know, maybe one day we'll be able to get the Patreon set up or we'll get advertisement or, or whatever. We can keep this whatever. going in a yeah. way that makes sense. Um, what are we going to watch next week, Will? Well, let's see. Since we've done a movie called Children of Men, what if we keep the men theme going? Go with, <laughs> We're going to keep a men theme going. I'm going to pretend that we haven't planned this on in advance, but... Why don't we go with 12 Angry Men? Do you know that last week I saw the Menzingers band in Madison, Wisconsin? I do know that. Well, it keeps the theme going. <laughs> okay. I'm living I'm living the podcast. 12 Angry Men. I've seen 12 Angry Men, but it's been a long time. 1957, classic courtroom uh, drama, or actually jury room drama. Yeah. I mean, one, there's like one plate. Like, is, is there more than there's one There's a tiny, there's, there's a tiny scene at the beginning where they're in the courtroom. There's a tiny scene at the end where they're outside the building, but... So three sets, ninety nine point nine percent of it is in the jury room. Damn, um, it's and by black the way, and white, black and white, uh, directed by Sidney Lumet, and um, there are no women in this movie at all, <laughs> not even glimpsed. It really goes with the theme. So it is. Jeez. Okay, well that's fine. I'm. I mean, I like the idea of bouncing back and forth. Like we've this yeah. is a two thousands movie. The last one we did was 40s. Now we're going to 50s. Going so to do a little 50s. We'll just keep like kind of bouncing around I agree. these areas. We're covering I, I, all of film history. It just makes sense to to kind of keep it, you know, mixed. I agree. Cool. Okay. Well, if you don't have any other thoughts, until next time, we'll miss you all. Most of all. Most of all. Most of all.